And that jarring cacophony means you're back with those Scottish blokes on that Scottish Talk To You podcast where they talk to people who aren't always necessarily Scottish. I'm Kenny Smith and you're listening to The Power of Three. And I'm not alone. I'm with my mate, my old mucker of The Power of Three Decades. <laughs> but I'm nearly four now. This is, yeah, this is our fourth decade of friendship. Gosh. <laughs> you better introduce yourself, my friend of four decades, or three plus one decades. Time on for Good Behaviour listeners. Hello everyone, David Steele here. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Kenny, what are we talking about today as if the listeners don't know already because they've seen it in the description? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. We're talking about the Season 20 Blu-ray, which is going to be with us in the next week and a half or so. And Excellent. today we're going to have our usual chat with our pals, Peter Crocker and Richard Bignall, who are going to tell us about some of the work that they've put in to bring this Blu-ray release to us. Um, which I'm very excited about. Peter, of course, does the picture restoration and Richard Ooh. does all the PDF notes and those amazing files that are crammed onto these discs and give you all this amazing paperwork and archival research that, quite frankly, makes my mind boggle. So yes, we're going to be chatting with them shortly, but um, how was your weekend since we last spoke? Um, it was very quiet. I didn't do much at all. I've, I've been really, really busy with work the last few months, so I, I relaxed um, with extreme prejudice at the weekend. Um, As well, you should. He's asking me, listeners, so that he can tell you where he's where he was on Saturday. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's Kenny, very true. How was how was your weekend, Kenny? It was all right. I just you know, went out and you know spoke to a guy. But I just you know hung out. You know spoke to spoke to some you know some sort of old actor guy. Um, you hung out. Spoke to some guys. You better clarify that because people might think you've made a major lifestyle choice. Okay, that's a very good point. Yes, I went down to Derby and uh, interviewed Paul McGann on stage at the Hoover's convention and had a great time. Marvelous. And you were, nice. and of course, you were there when I was asked to do it, uh, when I was invited to do that's it. Right. That's right. Yeah, when we were at um, the the books convention, as I've been calling it latterly. Yes. Um, yes, I'd hope, I'd hope to get down to um, to Hooverville as well, but. I got hit with a, a £180 factors bill about six weeks ago, listeners, which is boring grown-up adult talk for there's a pipe on the outside of my building that needs repaired and we all have to we all have to chip into it because it was a structural thing. So that can put my put the markers on my plans of hoping to attend Hooverville, but maybe next time. You know, novel experiences were so enjoyable. It was. But um good time. You saw Andrew Mark and everyone and, and all yes, that. Yes, saw our pals from uh, from Derby and uh, Steve Hatcher and yeah. Had a fantastic time, and I think everybody else seemed to have to, from what I can see on the socials. So it's always good. good. It's always good. good. But Dave, let's um, picture restoration, isn't it? It's one of the real joys, isn't it? When you see the restoration, when you compare it with like the, the rubbish old VHS sort of tapes that we used to have, and the, they look like they were done and you know, almost like made with tomato sauce. I know what you mean. I remember when I got. Um... Logopopolis and Castro Valva from uh, on VHS at my birthday when I was nineteen. They came out in March '92. That's what I remember. And um, there was a the Castro Valva tape, especially. It wasn't. It wasn't quite. There was interference on it, but for the first maybe fifteen minutes, it was a bit. It was fuzzier than you'd like, and it kind of settled down. So it's um, it's nice just to have them. You know, for all the difference it makes, really, to have them sort of crystal clear and and shiny. Um, and it's and it's nice that that these sets are still coming out. Um, and it's nice that. The Doctor Who is still so important that they spend so much time on it. I can think of, you know, I can't think of any other TV series that that gets so much special treatment. I can think of a few TV series that I would like to get the same <laughs> amount of spend. But you know, it's um, it's we're we're really very lucky. We definitely are, and I think the fact that we've got with people like Richard and Peter because they are fans like us, they want it to be the best it can possibly be, and I think because of that, that makes their job probably it becomes like a passion project as well as work that they are of course doing anyway but it's it's still that extra wee degree this always makes you want to go that extra mile doesn't it absolutely and it's um as you say passion projects the best way of putting it i think it's um i think they, they they do it because they know that the fans appreciate it you know maybe the fans even expect it but they certainly appreciate it and um and they should appreciate they really, it you do yeah yeah what sort of size of tv do you watch on i've got a 42 incher and it's 3D as well. I I tend to just what I've I've only got Blu-ray player set up in the kitchen, 
so I tend to just watch it. It's a fairly small screen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I thought recently about getting set one up in the living room as well because I've got a much bigger telly in the living room. I'm not, I'm not sure how big it is. It was a present from a friend at work a few years ago mm-hmm. when they were up and they went, Steely, do you want my whole telly? And I went, yeah, because the one I'd been using for about, oh God, nearly 20 years was a massive big box that a former flatmate's parents had given me years ago when they'd upgraded. Um, yeah. And soon David Steele's televisions that he's owned the podcast. Um, so no, I just, I tend to, I mean, I'll be honest, like, Unless it's a story that I exceptionally love, I tend to just watch the bonus features mm-hmm. on stuff. Um, but obviously, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do, I do take a look, and it's the, it's. I remember when DVDs first came out, and the when an HMV when um, the Five Doctors was released was the first one, and I managed to convince someone to put it on the sort of monitor that we were using to sort of promote DVDs in the shop. So this would yeah. have been long, eight ninety nine, maybe something like that, Sounds and. Good. Just being stunned at the the upgrading picture quality there, and you can see the difference again now. Because obviously, if you play a DVD on a Blu-ray player, it, it upscales it to a slight extent. But the, even the difference between watching a story on DVD and comparing it just to Blu-rays is it's it's really noticeable. And you sort of think, I think most folk will probably be quite happy with with DVD level mastering. But it's it's really good that they go back in and sort of just try and make it as, as good as it possibly can be. It, it blows my mind that they can still do that. You know, forty-year-old videotapes and they can still spruce them up. It's, it's glorious. Yeah, especially when they find things like the film elements of Five Doctors and then Peter can work mm. his magic and upscale them to true HD and it's just, wow. Of course. The detail is incredible, so I really am He's looking forward to watching yeah. Five Doctors. Yeah, Peter Davison's hair in Glorious HD and John Pertwee's cape in Glorious HD. It's, anyway, <laughs> it, it's, the, um, it's the time of times, listeners, we're really very lucky. <laughs> we are indeed. But why don't we hear what Peter has to say about how he managed to do it all for this set? Absolutely. Yes, uh, I'm Peter Crocker and I do the picture restoration on the Doctor Who Blu-ray releases. So, season 20, it's the biggest release yet, which of course means the largest amount of work for you yet, probably. Not for me. Um, I think season two will take some beating <laughs> for quite some time. And season nine, yeah, because of all the, all the difficulty, really. Because with season nine, as we discussed last time, or whenever it was, the uh, most of the episodes have the same amount of work as three normal episodes but and in that sense season 20 is a little bit more straightforward when you get into the nitty-gritty and um, it's as, as as always things that you would expect should be fine because oh they're they're all on their original tapes so they're bound to be great well actually no because you know in lots of cases they look pretty shocking when they were first broadcast and even those you know, at least twenty, usually about 30, you know thirty up to thirty years had passed between those tapes being recorded and the the versions that we currently have to work with uh, being sort of made for the archives. Because of course, we we no longer, unless in extreme cases, because it's very expensive and very difficult to do, we don't go back to the original two-inch tapes now. Uh, what we what we have is we go through to dig, we use digibeta tapes, which are themselves copies of D3 digital tapes, which were made in the 1990s in the two-inch tapes. And the and the two-inch archiving project, you would like you would like to think, especially with a program, you know, like Doctor Who, they would, you'd think, oh well, it's you know, it's it's drama, it's commercially exploitable, it's always been repeated somewhere. So they're bound to take more time and care over the transfer of those tapes, aren't they? Well, no. It's just a <laughs> Just a sausage factory, and you know, for a twenty-five minute program, they would have probably been allocated at the at the most thirty-five minutes to do that transfer. Which means that if there are minor problems, like a bit of head clogging during the uh, playback, in order to the world, they would stop and clean the heads and go back and restart the transfer again. But that isn't always the case, so there are a few instances where. Um, you get banding, very more visible banding than is ideal in the picture. And there have been a couple of occasions, not with season 20, admittedly, but there have been a couple of occasions for the DVDs where the transfers done in the archiving project were sufficiently poor that I said, look, can we go back to the two-inch tapes again and see if we can get a better transfer? And in one of the cases, we did, and we could. And in the other case, we got a new transfer, and it was actually no better, and it 
turned out that it was probably the problem was probably burnt in at an earlier stage than it was like this on broadcast. But it's quite it's quite a difficult and expensive thing to do. It's uh, it's not horrendous. It's it's more of a it's more of a ball ache just administratively, to be honest, because you have to go to the BFI and pay a fee to them to pull it out of their uh, sort of deep archive, and and then they won't just hand it over. They insist on doing the transfer, which is fair enough. But in order to do the transfer, they insist on evaluating the tape first and cleaning it. And it all adds to the cost and the time taken. And unless you're definitely going to get a better result at the end of it, it's something we tend not to do very often. But but to come back to the point initially made, it, it would be nice to think that the transfers that were done in the archiving project in the 1990s from the two-inch tapes um, would result in the best possible transfer. And you can't assume that. So there's lots of episodes where there's a lot of dropout, tape dropout, other problems that need to be fixed. And then, of course, we've got the issues with the transfer, the technology of the time. And most of the film transfers in season 20 are a bit, a bit ropey. Luckily, we've got the film for the two, um, two doctors, the five doctors to replace. But if, it, if, if that was like the rest of the season and we were stuck with what was on the broadcast tape, the, the, the five doctors would look shocking because it was um, a very, um, very yellow green transfer, very soft and done on what was called the um, Polygon Telecine, which um, people who are aware of it through other Doctor Who stories will know that it you know, was, was, was never the, uh, the best machine to transfer programs on because it would blend fields together. Probably, probably didn't make a lot of difference to the quality looking at them on an old cathode HE television set. But with the flat screens that we have now, that are very unforgiving. If you if you were to watch the actual broadcast tape as it sits in the archive of uh, the Five Doctors, um, the, the film inserts look particularly shocking. So it's nice that we can do something with those anyway. Yeah, it's, I know. But, but, but the, but the um, I think I think uh, the King's Demons used the same polygon. So those uh, those films took a bit of work to make, make look acceptable. I'd imagine then that. Um... The lack of original elements like that, the film inserts, that's probably the biggest frustration when it comes to this set, considering you've got lovely location stuff in Amsterdam and yeah. King's Demons especially. Yeah, and even even, even stuff like Modern Undead, you know, you, you, you know, you can you can just tell, you know, you, um, when you're trying to squeeze what detail there is out of the um, out of the film transfers, which is very difficult when they're a bit unstable as well. You know, it, it's um, it, it's such a shame when you know that. They would look absolutely gorgeous if we had them, and it's you know it's all all for the sake of not keeping a few cans of film. You know there's, there's, the space savings in the archive for this it, it wouldn't be a it wouldn't have been a massive thing. But uh, that's the story of all television really, not even just Doctor Who. You know, if only if only they'd kept that one can. But the trouble is, only keeping that one can or one reel actually means if only they kept that. 275,000 cans and yep. <laughs> 350,000 reels. Yeah. That's life. Oh, silly. And if only they'd kept those nice old 60s prints as well. But oh dear. Yeah, they were, yeah I mean, that's the, that's the thing that sort of makes the least sense of all. I mean, with videotape, you could, you could sort of argue to an extent that they could, they could have reused them, but more often than not, they didn't. Um, they were just junked. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame. I think the biggest shame with Doctor Who is that it, well, maybe not. I don't know. I, I, I think it would be nice if if we had one surviving example of four hundred five line VT, but that might be all, that just might make it more frustrating knowing that that's what they could all look like and they, and they don't. And and we sort we sort of know what the late rounds would look like because they they you could just turn down um, a, a poetry story like you know what I know Day of the Daleks and. Uh, turn the colour off on it and that's exactly the sharpness and clarity that the late trounds would have because they were probably using exactly the same cameras oh so frustrations but hey let's not let's not mourn what we don't have let's celebrate what we do have mm. so we've got Ark of Infinity to begin with was this one yeah. that was a fairly straightforward job or was there a bit of work required in this there was a fair bit of work with that mainly mainly because the um 
what can I remember about this? Because we, we 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 started all the work for this in uh, 2020, so it's a long time ago now. Trying to think, I think the, um, if I remember rightly, the uh, telecine equipment that was used to do the film transfer on Arc of Infinity had a mark on it. It was probably a twin lens system they used, so there's quite a lot of flicker on the film, and you, you also get burn marks on the uh, on the sort of scanning on the, on the scanning tube. Which leads to, leads to either flickering or static, not so much dots because I mean dot, t- tiny dots are relatively easy to get rid of these days. Uh, not always, but usually fairly straightforward. But what you have on a, what we had on uh, Market the Uncle Vintage film was uh, lots of little areas of like st- dark staining. So it's not like a solid black mark; it's just like a dark, almost like a freckle over the image. And I think you know, there were up to about twenty on the on the picture in that. So I've uh, I've tried to get rid of those. It's one of those things where if the image isn't moving at all, you tend not to notice it. But if if the if the background is moving, and and it's across sky or something like that that's fairly uh, fairly pale, you have this sort of static darker mark that suddenly becomes apparent. And of course, it's quite difficult to get rid of if you've got moving things behind it. So, but I've had a go anyway. So that that took quite a lot of time. It's one of those things that you probably wouldn't even notice it if you weren't watching side by side with something. And that's one of the signs of being a madman watching things side by side to see if you can spot any differences. So, you know, only only a fool would do that. Or so a Doctor Who fan. Fans, fans, it might be doing it. Don't do it. Don't go there. It's not worth it. <laughs> Then we've got Snake Dance. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit noisy, I think. They, 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 were, all, they were all quite noisy, but I think Snake Dance was particularly noisy. The cameras that we were using around this time, I think, were um, they were either getting a bit long in the tooth or they were new ones which weren't quite so, quite so good in the dark anyway. And with it being quite dimly lit, it's one of the noisier stories, which, you know, it's, it's important to try and tame that a little bit for, um, for for modern televisions because you know, again you know if you're upscaling analog noise it tends to look a bit a bit nasty there's still plenty of it around it's, it, i think snake dance isn't is one of those that's never going to look the best for that reason but i'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out i don't, I don't think there were too many uh, difficult things to do with that one slightly frustrating thing with with it was um, when we did the film transfers for uh, Time Flight for the Blu-ray of that, and we called up the negatives. And um, why this hadn't been discovered for the DVD, I don't know. It may, may, I think for the DVD it might have been that they only used the prints rather than the negs. But one of the cans um, that we were, we were looking for, the negative of a stock shot of Concord, which we actually didn't find, and therefore I had to use the um, up- upscale the transfer from the print from the DVD, which of course with being stock footage it wasn't best anyway. So I don't think anybody was ever any the wiser that it was upscaled rather than a new HD transfer. But what we actually found in the in the neg cam was um, about ninety seconds of shots of uh, Dojin in, in the desert. Uh, from Snake Dance, and I thought, oh, oh well, that's a that's a nice little find that we didn't know any uh, didn't know about. And but when it actually came to came to it and identifying it, um, I couldn't actually utilise it in the episode because it's the sh- it's the shot that near the end of episode four that's all intercut with Peter Davison and viewed within the crystal. So 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 it's going to be on the Blu-ray as a as a nice full full high definition, beautiful looking. Extra, you know, a bit of van, but um, again, one of those tantalising things that shows you what the quality would be like if they'd kept all the film from Snake Dance. But that was that was one of these chance findings that we so often come across. It's nice when those show up. I mean, it's, I still get you know, yeah. I think when um, you know, think about when I think it was Steve that found the the inserts from Master Plan back of doing Resistance mm-hmm. is useless and the mute film stuff come up and then. Is uh, appealing DWB found he's got like time coded uh, audio time code stuff that'd be great and I thought that was really funny at the time but that's that's yeah. my sense of humour. Sure, I'm sure there's still stuff to be found in mislabeled cans. In theory, all you know, you know, 
can check should be complete and all done. But in reality, I mean, just simply the, the the chance number of things we've discovered in the wrong cans over over the last 10, 10 or fifteen years or so is is astonishing. You know, fi- finding that those um, space pirates film inserts in a in a dad's army can. I mean, if we, if we hadn't been restoring dad's army to the same effectively the same standard as the Doctor Who releases if 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 they'd just been not not fully restored and you know restored by somebody else and just put out using what's on the film recordings they'd still be in we'd be unaware of them but what are the chances of finding Doctor Who in Dad's army yeah what, and what else is there and what what are the chances of finding a bit of snake dance in a in a time flight neg can yeah just um Fingers crossed for more in the future. Well, uh, well, well, you, well, you probably you probably know that uh, we um, Richard Bignall did uh, was looking through the um, online holdings of the BFI and noted that when he was going through their Doctor Who holding and found out that they've got a, a, a listing for a, a sound neg for episode seven of the Daleks, and he, and he, he from from the first season and he put two and two together. Uh, because, of course, when we came to do the DVD of that, when we looked for the picture negative, the the picture negative was missing, and what was in the can was the sound negative. And, and Richard remembered this and thought, "Oh, I wonder." We had Paul the had um, had a chat with the archive people um, at um, at the BFI, and they kindly. And got the can out and checked it, and and sure enough, it was the picture neg um, that had been missing all these years. And, and and what had happened is when they when they made a print to do the VHS release in '86 or whenever that was, whoever put the negs back in the cans at the film lab probably just put them back in the wrong cans. And then they went back to the BBC, and the BBC said, "Well, we're not going to need these anymore. We've got the, you know, we'll." we'll, we'll Give give the ones we don't need to the BFI, and the BFI just took them and stuck them on the shelf and forgot about them. You know, just took it as read that what it was what it said it was. But uh, yeah, that's it's brilliant. Good. That is oh, I didn't know that, but it's good new fact. Thank you very much. Well, well, it'll, it'll 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 mean that when we eventually get around to season one, which we haven't, I'll, I'll get a, bit, a, bit, a bit of a scoop for you here. We've not we've not, we're not started on it. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, for the foreseeable anyway. It's not it's not on my horizon yet. But when we get around to it, we'll we'll be able to um, do a much nicer version of episode seven than uh, we've been up to able to do up till now. It'll still be suppressed field because we're we're pretty sure now that um that the episodes five and seven of the Daleks, we don't think there ever were stored field, full resolution, film recordings of those made. Almost certainly because in nineteen sixty seven when they were going through and making all the improved quality copies of the Hartnell, those first two Hartnell seasons. Almost certainly either the videotapes had been mislaid or lost or damaged and unable to be used. Otherwise they would have done so. But the, I think I think for, for a while we and, and, and still a lot of the fans think, oh, you know, they, they must exist somewhere, they must be missing. Maybe, maybe if we get another print back from Mexico or somewhere else, they'll be better quality. But no, that's not going to happen. They, they, for whatever reason, I think I think we're stuck with the, uh, the the sort of one field sort of 288 line resolution of those two episodes. Just a shame, but uh, but at least we've got one now that's not got a massive scratch through it and it has to be zoomed in even more yay good news so you mentioned obviously film inserts would have been lovely for modern and dead how is that one working out i'd imagine that that'd been quite interesting yeah. with the with the screens the split screen stuff I mean, it, 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 it goes down a generation in the studio but at that stage it's in in this era they tended to often went down a few generations anyway I, no, I don't think that was particularly a problem. You, you, you sometimes get alignment issues if the if the if the uh, if the timing, electronic timing of the uh, tape recorders isn't spot on. You sometimes get that within edits, and um, I, I always tidy those up so you won't see them now. But sometimes, if they if they do if they did what was called an invisible edit, which is which is essentially making an edit in the middle of a 
of a shot. You might be you're dropping in from the same recording. Something might have gone wrong. It might have been something like a head clog on the playback. So and the VT editor would have said, right, we've got to stop that there because the head's clogged. We'll go back and pick it up. And but rather than do the whole edit the whole shot again, they would just pick it up. So you would just you know start the edit in. And it might be halfway through someone's sentence while they're talking or walking across a scene. And if the timing isn't perfectly right, you'll get a, a, a tiny little hop um, in the picture. It tends not. It's sometimes only noticeable at the edges, which you, which you wouldn't notice um, at the time on a telly because it was lost on the edges of the screen that you didn't see. But now, now you see everything, uh, the whole of the picture. That's that's something that has to be fixed. So there were there were quite a few instances of that sort of thing going on. Um, all, and it happens all the time in, in classic Doctor Who. A little bit less as you go, go on, but even as late as eighty nine, it was it was it was sort of part and parcel of what happens and uh, it's, well, it's just one of the little things that if I, if I see oh right okay one of those sort that out yeah. <laughs> so let's yeah. move on Terminus imagine that that's mostly studio based so lots of yeah, yeah again to work with all that film in the, um, the there's, there's all, all the film in the the undercarriage sounds, sounds vaguely yeah it's Kenneth Williams too oh matron but yeah exactly in, in the in the in the belly of the spaceship with uh, with Tegan and Turlow, that's 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 always been a bit grainy. Um, it, so again, that would have been lovely to have that, but we don't have it. Uh, again, there's a lot of underlit stuff in there, which is always a challenge to make it look nice. But um, don't think I don't think you presented too many challenges. Just a just a standard thing. I think one of the episodes was a bit dropouty. Can't remember now which one it was. You often get that. It's just you know. One of the tapes is it's either a reused two-inch tape or it's just been shagged a bit over the over the years, and there's a lot of dropout to pay down. But um, yeah, Terminus, Terminus, I think, was a relatively straightforward one. Was... Would Enlightenment be the same? Although it does obviously have those lovely no. moments there. <laughs> no, no, uh, Enlightenment was, was, was a bit of fun. At least with Enlightenment, we've got the um, we've got the model uh, 35 mil model shots of the the ships in space. Which is uh, which is nice. It's all a bit faded, so it was a bit of a it was a bit of a challenge, to be honest, to make them look as splendid as they might have done at one time. If you look at them side by side with the with the what's on the original tape, there's just tons more detail in the shots now. But I've I've had to sort of push the you know the grading uh, systems really hard to pull out the. Um, what colours left in there to, to make it match? So hopefully, it, it, it does match what was what was seen originally. But I think um, if the film hadn't faded after 40, 40 years, it, I think it would have really popped. It would have just been just looked amazing. As it, as it is, it's, it's it's definitely worth doing. It's quite a bit of work, and there's a, there's a lot of detail there. There's there's a lot of detail. If if you get your nose to the screen of the the shot of enlightenment itself when that comes on. There's a lot of detail there that just wasn't there uh, originally, but it's um, it's worth doing. Worth doing. Couldn't quite manage to make the shot at the end of episode two. I think it is. Uh, is it episode two where Turlo's jumping off? Or is that episode one? Yeah. Anyway, the 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 the, the last shot, sort of where there's um there's like a a mat between the um the film of them on uh, in the studio essentially. Um, on the ship, and then there's a the, there's one of the spaceships, sort of in the background, and I couldn't I did, whatever I did with that, I couldn't make that match, probably because of the fading on the on the shot of the ship. So I had to ju- just use what was on the what was on the original. But and, and episode episode one was absolutely riddled with dropout and line pulling. Probably always was. I, I, I didn't go back and look at it. I'm not fair to, to to check. I'm sure it would have been. I think well, often when people get when there's loads of dropout on the broadcast tape and people recorded it in those days on VHS, you just you just assumed it was on your copy from the VHS. And uh, but with episode the first episode of Enlightenment, there was just tons of tape damage uh, there. And we, I think we went through about five QC checks in the end. Uh, you know, with increasingly or decreasing amounts of dropout spotted. But every every time you think you've fixed them all, then you notice another one or two. I think we've probably got most of them now, but uh, there's bound to be some some of some are bound to slip through because there's just there's just so many of them. 
but at least they're not they're not like you know five a second now, which is what they were to begin with. And the other thing to say about Enlightenment was there's uh, there's new 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 CGI effects for people to enjoy on that as well. Interesting. Always interesting to see how they how they marry up and blend in. So, oh well, not long till we find out. And then of course, King's Demons. How was that? Yeah, that's that's, that's another one that's, another, that's always looked very grotty, very noisy pictures, and horrible film transfers. I've just done the best I can with it. Really, that's all. That's, you know, that's all I can say. You brought out a few heavy guns and with you know careful filtering and uh, you know very various tricks to try and ma- maximise killing the noise and with, without taking any detail out of the picture or keeping whatever detail there is actually there and trying just trying to make it a more pleasant watch. I've always thought it'd be quite nice. Actually, it's not going to happen now because if it's not happening now, it's not going to happen in the future. But with the space that there is potentially on Blu-ray, I thought always thought it would be nice to let people just have a, a standard definition uh, transfer of the, the the tapes of all of these, just as they literally are in the archive, with nothing done to them at all. Because I think it would be fun for people to actually see, just you know, well, well, it would be interesting too. Is, I mean, there are, there are some genuinely that actually are pretty good. I, I seem to recall the Rebus Operation was one when I did that DVD. The, the tapes were just in really, really good condition, and the, uh, the it obviously didn't go down too much in the editing. I think, I think who directed that? It was um, George Benton Foster. Oh right, okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, he was—he was, well, he was. He, yeah, I mean, he's pretty old school. I mean, he was—you know—he'd been around, around and about a bit, and uh, it, so I, I suspect he was one of these directors who knew what he wanted to get, knew how he was going to get it, wasn't terribly ambitious, um, and as a result, didn't have to drop any generations. You know, probably more like putting jigs- a bit of Lego together in the edit uh, rather than doing anything fancy. So the the, the quality of that technically was one of the best you know one of the best but a lot of them are absolutely horrendous and the the king's demons fall would definitely fall into that category and a lot of season 20 would to be honest and it, i think it would be interesting for people to to see these and also <laughs> from a from a selfish point of view if we ever mess anything up or to get something slightly wrong when we're pulling things to get put things apart and putting them back together again if if people have got them as they actually are as, as ed stradley calls it agi which is as god intended then you know we, we can dodge a bullet on that one as well <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it'd be nice to be able to see that but but yeah the king's demons is yeah I, I hope i hope it looks nice and i hope people enjoy it because I, I think it's i think it's a harmless little story is it it's pretty ineffectual isn't it i'll be amazed if it's any any individual fans favorite of the entire series yeah. but uh, like a lot of these two parts it's you know it is it's, it's quite enjoyable in its own little way We've got the five doctors to conclude the set. Yes, uh, that's the. I mean, that's the biggie. And we started that in 2019 because I was asked to start work on it way ahead of even the rest of it being commissioned to facilitate uh, the CGI extras that were being planned for it to be done. And then we had COVID. There was just there was loads and loads of delays, and it sort of meant it meant in the end I ended up doing it twice, which wasn't wasn't really what I was signing up to do. But I think I think the end result is um, is pretty good. The film looks just amazing. It's it's lovely. I think I'm I'm really pleased with what I what I've been able to do with the original effects on film. Um, not through anything clever that I've done particularly, but a very talented graphic designer and artist who people might have heard of. He's called Clayton. Someone name amazes me now. Mm. Never heard of him really no, before. No, don't know. Uh, but, but he. Um, he very kindly recreated the matte painting of the Tower of Rassilon in essentially in high definition because the only version of that we have is the really horrible version that's you know from the the film transfer done in 1983 and while for the DVD I just sort of um, I reused it essentially and matted it back into the new film transfer which was there's enough of a disparity there that we just about got away with it. There was just no way that was going to fit into a 2K scan of the negative. So, uh, so that's been that's been redone, and, uh, and it looks fantastic. So I'm really I'm really pleased with that shot, even though it's a bit of a rubbish shot. But it's <laughs> you know, it's uh, 
at least it all looks properly high definition now. And then the re- and the rest of the vibe boxes, it, it, the tape, it's a bit, uh, it's a bit dropouty. But I think we've caught, we, you know, we've caught them all. It's decent quality. I've tidied up some of the effects a little bit. The TARDIS um, uh, dematerialization at the end, which was based on a an early digital frame grab using Quantel, which which just looked horrible, mainly because it was a video still frame rather than really what the effect was doing. Um, now been able to make that look just a little bit less. That's obviously a still frame. It sits nicely now. So there's all sorts of little bits, you know. I think it's, I think it's a worthwhile upgrade. And you've got the 40th anniversary version, which is, which is basically just the... Originally, that was going to be just the transmitted version with optionally branched CGI. But uh, Neil Bushnell, who did the CGI, was was thinking more about the images than the sound. And he's made, he's made, a, he made a few minor changes that, that actually made some of the sound effects not quite match. So Mark suggested, well, why don't we just actually make it a new version and I'll move the sound to match the new effects. So it's a bit of tail wagging the dog there, but it, but it hasn't. It does mean that there's a third version and another disc. So well, never mind the quality you feel the width. <laughs> well, I'm delighted because Five Doctors is my comfort blanket story. And yeah. uh, it's a story that I watched after both my parents passed away. It gave me that sort of, just like, took me to a happy yeah. place for a few hours. So... I appreciate yeah. the work you've done on it, so thank you. And again, thank you for your time and coming on and having yeah, a chat about your amazing work. Anytime, Kenny, you're welcome. Thanks very much to Peter. A real pleasure to chat, as ever. Um, now, the other thing, of course, we're chatting about is the, all the little PDF extras and things like that, all the scripts and things. and It's just quite incredible, the things that Richard Bignall finds and can put on there, just all these incredible bits of minutiae I mean here we've got, we're going to hear about the six doctors from Robert Holmes and what survives of that and the fact there's um, the scene from the five doctors in which Sarah meets the autons was scripted that still survives and where it slots in so yeah it's quite um, quite a nice remix anything else has caught your eye Dave? In the PDF stuff do you mean? Or in, in any extras really? Well the thing that's what struck me is that even I mean I think when we when we talked about season twenty before, I talked about how um, I'm sure I mentioned, or, or at least I'm sure I've mentioned elsewhere on the podcast when the Five Doctors special edition DVD came out in two thousand and eight, the nostalgia that the the special features, you know, from the contemporary sort of TV program stuff, yeah. the nostalgia that to me was almost overwhelming, and that was what prompted me to really to to do my first ever um com- to, you know, to start my first ever complete watch through and so far only complete watch through the entire series from the beginning and I've had a niggling feeling about doing it for a while recently because you know as, as I've said a thousand times modern TV Doctor Who doesn't do it for me anymore so I've been thinking about another sort of watch through from the beginning um, and, I'm, and I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if the bonus features in this trigger it again because it, it really took me back there was a really good documentary about 1983 that Colin Baker presented which I'm sure is going to be um on one of these discs. Let's have a look at it to see if we can spot it. Oh yeah, there we are. Celebration. Making a documentary about that one. And um, it just took me back to the glorious heady days of 1983 and from what I can see, there's I nearly said a bad word. There's an oomph ton of extra new, new sort of contemporary stuff. Like they've got the clip of Terry Wogan and Peter Davison from Children in Need. There's a lot more Breakfast Time and BBC News sort of clips that we, didn't, we haven't had previously. So they're the ones that I'm looking forward to because I like those little nostalgia bombs. What about yourself? I'm just generally excited about everything. The fact there's new documentaries on the way, which of course we'll, we'll find out more about them next week. Generally, I think it's just the whole chance to see something looking as good as it's ever looked before. I quite enjoy that. Just sort of, you know, that first look to see just how good it is. You could, I mean, particularly mm-hmm. Five Doctors, which I know inside out. and Yeah. And I, I just yes. cannot, I'm just, I mean, I'm not going to deny, I'm going to put on the special edition of that first. That'll be the first yeah. thing that I'll watch. This, the yeah. new special edition, I should say. Yeah, it's crazy to think that, you know, the um, it's, what, 28 years since we got the first Five Doctors special edition. <laughs> yes. You know, crazy to think that was only that was only 12 years after the broadcast, but at the time it felt like a lifetime. Here we are, we're getting another one, so that'll be interesting. Having a sudden memory flashback, do you remember the Scarrison Convention in March 1996? I certainly do. When um, in Glasgow, when because of um, transport arrangements or whatever, some of the guests were very late in arriving. So 
<laughs> and there wasn't much going on. So they just stuck to Five Doctors Special Edition. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what everyone had to make do with until <laughs> until Sophie's train got in. Shocking. Yeah. Funny what do, you remember. So yes, yeah, um, I'd forgotten that. That's a, that's brilliant. <laughs> who are we? Who are we talking to now then? Well, let's have a quick chat with Richard Bignall, who's going to tell us all about his amazing discoveries from the BBC Written Archive. Over to you, Mister B. So hello Kenny, so uh, I'm Richard Bicknell and I've done for season 20, been looking after, as always, the uh, PDF archive, curating that, as well as doing lots of sort of little bits of background research for various uh, features and goodness knows what. So yeah, it's, uh, and it's, uh, it's a busy one because season 20 is big. <laughs> it certainly is. Okay, first question, how many pages are there? At present... At time of recording, uh, 8,873, which is slightly up on what I put up on Twitter when we'd had the um, initial launch uh, of the announcement trailer. So it's gone up a little bit. There's a possibility it might nudge up a little bit more, but I don't know. So, But at the moment, it stands at 8,873. Because PDFs, because they don't have to go through the same rigors as videos and stuff, we can sort of do those and tweak those right up to pretty much the last moment uh, in the production. So, but yeah, this this is a big one. And if anyone saw the list that I put out onto various forums and Twitter, um, you'll probably appreciate how large it's got because I normally try to stick to a standard template. Um, maybe with sort of slightly larger or smaller fonts, but this one ended up being sort of like twice the size because it just it just was ridiculous. And unfortunately, I, I hadn't started putting the template together, hadn't started putting the list together until the day that it was going to be announced. And I was sitting there for two hours trying to pull everything together to work out how big the thing was and how many pages, and this thing was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was thinking, oh, my word, what have I done? But there you go. <laughs> It's fun. It's fun because when we were chatting uh, an email uh, last week, you know, I think you mentioned that you'd actually started working this three years ago. Yeah, I'd, I I actually delivered most of this material three and a half years ago when we were first planning season 20 and it started to go into production. And I think since then we've done, we've done another, we've released another four box sets and I'm currently working on the next two after this so yeah a lot of this is actually quite in the dim and distant for me because uh, you know as happens when you move on to something new you sort of park everything that's gone in the past but yeah I, I, I mean there's sort of various tweaks and whatever that's had to be made as we've um, brought everything up to date and uh, as it's gone through and it's been checked um, but yeah, by and large, most of this was done quite a while ago. Well, let's pick your brains to see what archive gems <laughs> that you can recall discovering. When, does anything spring to mind as being a big, as being the biggie? Like last time we had uh, the the lost scene from the Sea Devils. Um, I don't think anything stands out quite like that. But there's lots of nice little bits and pieces all the way through this. So uh, for Ark of Infinity, there is um, Johnny Byrne's original story outline for it when it was um, the time of Neiman, um, which is a, a, a somewhat different take on the story. So we've got that. We've got an example of, and I'm fairly sure it's Ian's, Ian Levine's multi-page document telling what was wrong with the story and everything they needed to change, together with some of their notes on, on the thing as well, about what they agreed with and what they didn't. Uh, so we've got that. There's quite a few lists in there with regards to who they were considering for like alternate casting. So for Ark of Infinity, for the Castellan, which went to Paul Jericho, that was the role that Colin Baker was originally earmarked for. But it was all. They were also considering Patrick Stewart. They were considering Francis Matthews. Considering Edward Woodward. So that they're all names that are on the list. The president that they were they were going for initially Bernard Archer 
for that, but they're also considering Geoffrey Belden, considering David Langdon, who of course would have originally played the Brigadier had he not pulled out the last moment of doing the Web of Fear or Letter of Stuart. For Snake Dance, there's rather a nice memo in there where it's talking all about how for Ambrose's room, they were going to reuse a set from uh, A Song for Europe and all the changes they would need to make for uh, for the set in order to change it to Ambrose's room. The file for Enlightenment is about three quarters of that is when they were originally going to be mounting it. So with Peter Salis, Straker and David Rule as uh, Mansell. And then about three quarters of the way through, that's when they go, all crumbs are going to have to reschedule. And they they find they can't have those two cast members anymore because they're off doing something else. So they have to rejig that. So we've got that, which is rather nice. In The King's Demons, we got a nice little accident report form for Anthony Ainley, who cuts himself whilst doing the sword fight. There's a, there's a rather nice letter which Tony Virgo, the director Tony Virgo, sends to Chris Padmore. Uh, and Chris is the one who was doing Chameleon. He was the programmer, in inverted commas, for, for Chameleon. And this was the point where they had run out of time with their allocated studio, and they were going to have to have an extra studio day to try and finish the story because they, they'd run out of time. And he says in the letter that he sort of fully sympathises with the fact that he couldn't get the thing programmed up fully the way it needed to be for the studio date when they were supposed to be doing the stuff. Um, but they're really now in a position where they need to have a meeting to get together and actually see the android in what he calls a working state. And then there's a, there's a nice little PS uh, at the bottom of the letter where he says, in a working state, I mean by that being fully programmed so that it does all the things that we actually require for it in the studio. So I, I sort of get a sense that Tony Virgo was probably getting a bit miffed with things uh, at that point. The Five Doctors is the largest, I think, of the production files we've got. Uh, so that's about 450-odd pages worth. So that in includes a lot of the early stuff when it was the six, doc six doctors. Uh, we've been able to include a lot of the personal letters that were sent by the likes of Troughton and Pertby and Heather Hartnell and whatever the communications, we got permission to use those. The feelers that were going out to like Deborah Watling and to John Levine to be in it as well. So we've got those. Rather nicely for Terminus, Steve Gallagher has allowed us access to his working notes um, for Terminus, so uh, there's about 120-odd pages worth of his handwritten um, notepad notes about how he's developing the story and the directions it's going. So there's lots of really interesting stuff um, in this one for, for people to devour. I think it will keep them going for a little while. Something, a couple of things I've just scribbled down here, just we've been chatting there. Um, you mentioned Arc of Infinity. I seem to remember reading in the 80s that Pierce Brosnan was considered for casting in that one. Is that the case? Or am I misremembering? You know, I honestly can't remember. I know what you're talking about. I don't remember off the top of my head his name appearing in the paperwork, but then it's been quite a long time since <laughs> I've sort of gone through it in any depth. So it may well it may well be there. Yeah. Uh, and may well be quite right. Occasionally you do find though that over the years, because um House Standards and Walker pretty much look through the same files that, that we have access to. There are occasional times when things go missing out of the files. So things that were there suddenly aren't anymore, probably because they've just become a bit loose and they've dropped out and maybe people don't know where to put them when they find them again. But it, it, that may well be there and I, I just don't remember it. Mm. The other thing, of course, you said three words there that made, made me go, oh, the six doctors, of course, obviously I know what it is, but how much is there about that? How far did it actually get before Bob Holmes said, thanks, but no thanks? There is his brief outline of what the six doctors is. So you get that early on. I, I think the earliest bit of paperwork we've got for that five doctors file is actually John Pertwee's letter to JNT, basically saying, I'd, which is sort of mid, early to mid 
82, I seem to remember, where he basically says, sort of, you know, look, I'd be up for doing something if you're interested. Then they commission Robert Holmes. Robert Holmes does his outline for the six doctors. It's not a huge outline, but it remains the six doctors until about January or so. But it doesn't look like they're doing it in terms of production paperwork it doesn't look like they're doing anything particularly different from what we end up getting they're still going along the same lines with the same people uh, and, and the same thoughts so yes there is some material in there on it um, but it's not it's not anything that would lead you to think it would be uh, other than having the outline which of course does have, have its own differences but in terms of the production paperwork uh, that there will be anything sort of vastly different in terms of what they were planning. Interesting. And is there much in the way of how things were going with Tom and his involvement originally? Yeah, there are there are a few letters back and forth about his involvement and is he going to be interested, isn't he going to be interested? Uh, and then when it's clear that he's not, they are thinking that, you know, obviously start thinking about using the, the clip from Sharda. Um, so they're having to contact Tom about that. They're having to contact Lala Ward about that to see whether or not they're they're okay for the permissions to be used. Um, but yeah, so so there is some material in there about yeah. about Tom's involvement and his being in and out and in and out and yeah. taking it all about. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> oh, that's a shame that there's because um, as you mentioned previously that Terence never kept his outlines and things. So it's a shame that there's no sign of like the. The scene with the Autons and um, Tom's resolution, but it was not to be. Well, we do have the Auton scene. The, the, the Auton scene was in the script. So the rehearsal scripts that we've got of Terence's version do include the Auton scene fully. So, yeah, you, you, you have all that. And then it sort of ends very much as it does on the screen with... Sarah just sort of coming out of the mist and falling down a mountain, um, <laughs> which it is in the script. I mean, it is very much the idea that she has fallen down this steep slope and not this slight hillock that Peter Moffat decides he's going to use. Yeah, <laughs> it's, um, it's great. I mean, I love hearing all these these little bits that are there. Were there any sort of omissions that you would have expected to find? Well, I, th I think, as you say, it's it's a pity that we've never been able to find a copy of the very early, earliest draft scripts of Terence for the Five Doctors. I think they would be quite fascinating to see how he envisaged Tom's involvement uh, originally, but there doesn't seem to be any sign of those at all, which is a real pity. Apart from that, I can't really think of much that much that we probably haven't got in there. Although I did rather like, uh, and this is something I put on, on Twitter the day of the launch, the, the little uh, one-liner quotes I took from the promotional material. I had originally thought about putting these up prior just to see if anyone could, um, just as a, as a teaser to what was going to be released. But the, the danger is that sometimes people uh, have seen this stuff before and they go oh yeah i know where that comes from i i, I think sort of rob ritchie found out something very similar to his own cost didn't he when he was um working on evil of the daleks i think and uh he, he put something up and someone spotted a little file name on his computer somewhere um i'd accidentally done the same when we did season nine i put a little teaser up well i can't remember what the box set was when we released season nine when we were working on season nine but I, I had it through, so I put it on my laptop with behind it the uh, studio floor plan for Day of the Daleks and just made this little cryptic comment. You you couldn't see anything particularly of the floor plan. You could see it was a floor plan. But, and I said, oh, look, I've just received my box set of whatever it was. And uh, what appeared to you is, is obscuring what I'm working on for the next box set. Put that on Twitter and then realised that I'd left the tab name on it just on the side. I, I spotted it after about 30 seconds, so I quickly deleted it off and then recropped it so we could put it on. But yeah, so I, I'd taken, I'd put on Twitter these little one-line things that 
um, when J&T put together the promotional material that was going to be sent out to newspapers and whatever, which basically said, you know, here's here's our you know fabulous guest stars for this and uh, and whatnot, and he's slight overegging the pudding on uh, on some of the new creations. So the spectacular new monster in the first story was the Ergon that he was um, promoting. The stunning new monster from Terminus was the Garm. <laughs> and of course, we, uh, and of course, we get to um, the King's Demons, and it's an excellent new robot that we're going to be having. So, um, yeah, I think he was um, he was slightly believing his own press, I think there. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine you mentioned that Steve Gallagher had lent some other papers. There are a few other people who've contributed some of their own private things as well. Not so much for this one. We have, we do have a. Uh, I do have a habit now of asking around, seeing if we can get, get in contact with any of the surviving designers and whatever to see if they've got anything, if they've kept anything of their time. A little heads up for the next one. So I have been in contact with a production designer this past couple of weeks, and they've got a set of slides, transparencies that they took during the rehearsals of one of the stories so they're being sent to me and we'll get those scanned and all being well they'll be appearing on the photo gallery so they'll be brand new images i think there's about 19 of them wow. if i remember rightly from from what the person said so yeah really looking I, I haven't got those yet so i'm waiting for those to to turn up which hopefully will be uh, in the next week or so Yep. and then we can get those scanned but it's it's lovely when you're able to do that you know and doing these box sets gives you it's almost like a valid reason to be able to go to people and say you know we're doing this do you have anything that might be of interest where you can help us out and um, we have had we have had things we have had various designers and they've said yeah i've i've kept you know this design or that design scrolled away somewhere and they've taken a scan or done copies for us or whatever um, which is lovely because it's all stuff that the bbc doesn't have it's not in the archives design archive really doesn't exist anymore that's all that's all gone that was all thrown away apart from a few bits and pieces so um yeah so it's it's lovely to be able to include these these little bits I love them. I just—it's just these. It's just that little bit. It just proves why it's, it's. These are the best box sets that you can buy for any TV show because you put in so much time and effort because you want to see it. I mean, that's the thing I find mm. when I'm doing Vortex every month for Big Finish that I write the magazine that I'd like to read. So you're creating the, the things. You're getting the things that you would want to see from the fans' point of view. That's exactly it, Kenny. Yeah. By and large, for most people, the BBC written archives are going to be somewhere that's fairly inaccessible because the, the material is not online. You actually have to go there. You have to request the things and you're looking through archive documents uh, in their facility. And, you know, bless the BBC, there are a lot of Doctor Who files that are there. But by and large, these are things that people will never get to see uh, in their lifetime so it's it's lovely to be able to go and take that material and be able to give people the access to it as i always say on twitter every time we do a new set you know i, I try and give a running total of where we are uh i think what we've done 14 sets now this this will make um, set number 14 yep. and we're approaching fifty-five thousand pages worth of pdf material on there so it is there as an archive. And if, even if people can't access it at the moment, even if it's something they don't want to look at at the moment, they have got it. If they own the box sets, they have got the material. You know, it is something that they can access should they choose to do so. Um, the danger is if you put all this stuff online, it only takes someone to go, oh, well, we're not paying for the service space anymore, flick, and it's turned off, um, which is what, has happened over the years to a lot of streaming services yep. you know you look you look at uh what was it bbc store did the same yep. thing didn't they you Go know on. people bought Par parable dollars on bbc store because it was one of the new things that opened up and then a year or so down the line okay right we really can't do this anymore and click and it's all gone but you don't want to be in that position so it, it's lovely to be able to give it to people they can have it 
on their hard disk copy that they've got. It is something that even if they don't want to access now, they can access it in the future should they wish. Uh, you know, if they want to get themselves a Blu-ray drive for their for their PC. So yep. yeah, it's um it's a lovely thing to be able to do. And you're quite right. I'm putting on there what I want to be on there. This was suggested by me donkeys years ago when we were doing the DVDs. I think it would have been completely impractical to do it on the DVDs back then, to be honest, although we would have given it a damn good try. But having that extra space to be able to do it and the um, and doing it as season sets really helps as well, rather than doing individual releases. So, yeah, I, everyone's just doing it because they want to produce the best product for them, really. And if it pleases other people, that's fab. Fantastic. Well, Richard, it's been a joy as ever. So thank you, as always, for your hard work and dedication. And I'd better let you return to your secret bunker of research. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you, Kenny. And there we go. That was Richard. Massive thanks to him and Peter for their time as ever. Yeah, they're becoming regular guests on here as we as we do each preview. So always fascinating to hear what they've been up to and how they've done it. Absolutely. I wonder if Richard ever gets Scanner's elbow. (laughs) 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 But you know what I mean? God bless him. Yes, absolutely. Um, But yes, really looking forward to that. Dave, give us a quick mention as to where people can find you on the socials. On the socials, I've recently joined Blue Sky. Believe it or not, um, I'm just on there as Davad, D-A-V-A-D. I'm still on Twitter, at Davad Steele. Well, I'm on it very often these days, and I don't know how often I'm going to be on Blue Sky. But obviously, you can, if you feel the need to hear me talking more, um, you can obviously check out the Earth 2 podcast and also check out my occasional appearances on... And you can also check out my occasional appearances on the DC Comics podcast, Stop, Let's Team Up, Stroke, Opal City Confidential. Yep. Also, while I mentioned, Dave, um, have you read the new Vortex from Big Finish yet? Do you know what? I haven't. Isn't that terrible? I think what you should do... Oh, no, you can't do it because you're using your phone for this because there's a letter on there that's just for you. Hang on, would you like me to put it on screen and you can see if I see if Go I can on. get... Hang on, let's see if I can put my camera here and make it... Make the, let's see if I can make this work. If I bring my laptop up to the camera here and if you can look at the title of... Right, I'm going to point here, right? See where I'm pointing? I'm pointing in... Oh, hang on, move the camera. I'm pointing... <laughs> can you read right. the name of that letter? Yeah. The letter header. <laughs> Can you read for the letters? What, tell the readers what it says. It says David apostrophe S Steel. It's very amusing, David Steel. Yes, because it's a letter about David Warner's Steel from Sapphire and Steel. So yeah, there you go. I put that in just for you, Dave, because I'm immensely, immensely childish and find that quite funny. So I did hint at that to you weeks ago that I was going to do something like that. So there you go. Now you've seen it. So well, there we go. I may have to post that on my own socials, actually. That's very cheeky, very funny. Good lad. <laughs> well, I did tease you with it weeks ago that I'd be doing something something a bit fun. So, yeah. But it's absolutely yeah. relevant. So, yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, if anybody's interested, you can find me on Twitter at, at finishedzine, Z-I-N-E. And uh, I do have a blue sky, but I think it is finished scene as well, but I've not posted on it yet. But Matt Michael introduced me to it, so I need to do something on it and... Be proactive and productive. So, so there we go. But it struck me actually just looking at it last night when I said, "Oh, my friend Dan sent me sent me an invite," and it's it it, it it's almost identical to Twitter and it's sort of set up and stuff. It's um it's very interesting. Well, I'll anyway. have a good proper look at it later on. So, Dave, thank you so much for your time today, and will you come back next Always week? Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Can I come back next week? Of course I can. That sounds good. Okay, and we'll come back and we'll talk some more Blu-ray extra fun. Awesome. So, until then, Dave, I've got a question for you. (laughs) Oh, right, okay, what's that then? Dave, what tune would you like to play out with today? Well, I think, because we're talking season 20, and obviously one of the highlights of season 20 is Enlightenment, and one of the highlights of Enlightenment was the guest star appearance by pop star Lee John, and how mind-blowing that was (laughs) back in the day talked about it before could yes. we have could we have imagination's big hit just an illusion i think we should and it's very appropriate for enlightenment as well absolutely you'd almost think it was planned anyway thank you for listening folks we'll see you next week for some more season 20 blu-ray chat bye bye